Blog Talk Radio. This is a new dimension in sound. From Cavalier Basketball. LeBron watching with seven, with six, with five. Who else but LeBron? LeBron to the circle, on loads. Got it! I think he prefer to king to Indians baseball. One year in Belton, the deep left, away back, goal! To Browns football. Back in the pocket, steps up, goes into the end zone, up high, Jalen Edwards up, got it, touchdown! This is the WaitingForNextYear.com podcast. everybody welcome to the waiting for next year.com podcast uh, a little different tonight we uh, are not going to go straight into Cleveland sports but uh, we're joined tonight by Jordan Sherwood straight from I believe the press box at, uh, at Jacobs Field right Jordan oh Jacobs Field progressive field hey I was going to comment how about those highlights to start up the show I haven't heard that many highlights for Cleveland sports in quite some time uh, spoken like a true Chicago fan um, yes. Jordan, so tonight you're, you are uh, representing the local MMA community. Um, you know, uh, people might know you from WKNR, but tonight you're, uh, you're talking to us about local uh, MMA startup UMMAXX. So, uh, and they've got a big show this weekend. Why don't you uh, run it down for us? Yeah, UMAX uh, 8, All Heart, No Fear. It's uh, Saturday at the John S. Knight Center in Akron. Uh, you know, UMAX is, a, as you said, Craig, a local mixed martial arts organization. Uh, and, and the goals are, you know, really to bring uh, the best fighters from Northeast Ohio and put them up against uh, the best fighters uh, from across the country. And I, and I think that, you know, we have done that for UMAX 8, uh, you know, some of the notable names and then faces uh, in the mixed martial arts industry in Northeast Ohio are going to be fighting uh, on Saturday, and uh, we're looking forward to it. That sounds cool. Um, so, I, you know, you, we were talking before the show started. It's a little bit difficult to do some of the research on these upstart fighters because there's really no media on them. Tell us a little bit yeah, about uh, what that's been like. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a lot of uh, groundwork, and you definitely have to, uh, you know, visit these gyms and talk to the trainers, talk to the fighters, because, you know, you're not talking guys at the upper echelon of, in mixed martial arts like the UFC where you can just turn on the television and, and there they are. I mean, you have to do your research and, and confirm your research. So it's definitely a lot of, uh, I guess, un, uh, you know, recognizable names to the casual mixed martial arts fan. But this is uh, where they all start. I mean, you got to start somewhere. And uh, we have, uh, you know, six professional fights and, and eight amateur bouts that will take place uh, on Saturday night. So, as I mentioned, you know, we're looking forward to an outstanding evening of MMA. All right, and you said that, uh, you know, Northeast Ohio is going to be represented as they're going to go against a lot of the, the fighters from around the, the nation. But how does Northeast Ohio stack up against the rest of the nation? Obviously, some people know, um, you know, Rich Franklin down in Cincinnati. But tell us, uh, and, and Jason Dent, of course, up in Mentor, but tell us a little bit about how, how Northeast Ohio ra- ranks in the, uh, in the nation. Well, you know what? Actually, it's... Uh the state that puts on the most mixed martial arts fights per year. Now, you know, maybe it's not at the level where you have those top guys, like you mentioned, a Rich Ace Franklin, Gray Maynard's from 
uh, Lakewood, and you know you talk about some of the others, George Drugel from down in Cincinnati. Uh, but m- most definitely, mixed martial arts is extremely popular in Ohio. Uh, the Ohio Athletic Commission, as I said, sanctions the most fights, more than California, more than Texas, more than you know Illinois. So you definitely have to give credit where credit's due to a state like Ohio, the size of Ohio, and the fact that they're putting on the most mixed martial arts show per year. And, uh, and so for those of us who are used to the, the weight classes in the UFC and, and maybe even the WEC, what kind of weight classes are represented in, uh, in, in UMAX? What, are we, what kind of fighters are we looking to see, and, and what, what kind of fighters would they match up with if we were talking UFC, just so that people have some reference? Yeah, no, coincidentally, actually, uh, UMAX fights by the same weight classes that the UFC and the WEC uh, fight by. Uh, you know, uh, at UMAX 8, our, our main event will be uh, for the UMAX light heavyweight title. Uh, Mitch Weitzel and Jason Freebird Freeman are going to throw down, and that's a fight at, you know, for the light heavyweight title, so that's at 205 pounds. And, you know, we also have a, a welterweight fight uh, for a title on the line, Taiwan, the Iron Dragon Howard from Cleveland, and uh, Matt the Quiet Killer Coven, uh from outside the state, he's actually from North Carolina. They're going to be fighting at 170, so that's welterweight. That's George Rush St. Pierre for those people that uh, are familiar with the UFC. So we fight by the same weight classes as the UFC, and then, you know, obviously we also uh, dive into the featherweight, the bantamweight division, and that's what uh, the WEC fights with. That's cool. So you're not, uh, you're obviously not repping the, the UFC, but I know you're a giant fan. Um, what what were your thoughts on on uh, UFC 101 this week? Wasn't really surprised. Uh, I thought that BJ Penn was going to come ready to fight, and uh, I think that he showed that he's still the top lightweight in the world uh, at 155 pounds, submitting Kenny Florian to put up a valiant effort, but it, it wasn't enough. And then you know I wasn't surprised either by Anderson Silva's dominance over Forrest Griffin. I felt that you know Anderson Silva had a lot to prove the last two times he fought in the octagon against Patrick the Predator Cote and Teus Latis. It wasn't good efforts, and he was actually called out by UFC President Dana White. So I felt he had a lot to prove, and he completely picked apart Forrest Griffin. And, you know, Anderson Silva, now I think you have to consider him, if not the the number two pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Yeah, I was I was watching that, and I, and I ended up with kind of a sick feeling in my stomach watching watching Forrest Griffin get taken apart like that. I mean, I, I thought for sure that Griffin was going to lose, but were you at all surprised by just how badly he, he got beat? Yeah, I thought he would put up a, a much bigger fight than he did. I, I didn't think he'd get picked apart like he did uh, in the stand-up. I thought that Forrest was going to try and get it to the ground because, I mean, albeit you know, Forrest Griffin isn't known for his ground skills, his wrestling or submissions, Anderson Silva, I mean, that's been exploited as his one weakness if, if there is one on the middleweight champion. So I was uh, very, uh, very surprised by that, uh, you know, the way it ended so quickly. I thought it'd be like a three, you know, towards the third round. But, you know, again, I think it proves uh, how great of a fighter Anderson Silva is, and I expect him to continue his dominance in the UFC. Right, yeah. And, and back to BJ Penn, I mean, uh, that fight, I was – I, I really, I'd never seen anybody improve in the MMA game quite like Kenny Florian has done so far in his career. Um, do you think there is another path back to the top, or has or Kenny Florian just kind of peaked now? He's had two title shots, and, uh, and we've seen him improve greatly, but, I mean, can you really imagine him improving again? It's so hard, Craig. It's so hard because of 
especially because the lightweight division in the UFC is stacked with, with top-tier guys. I mean, you, you got Frankie Edgar, who I think many consider to be one of the top contenders in the lightweight division. Uh, you know, obviously the former champion, Sean, the Muscle Shark shirt, Tyson Griffin. And then I think the guy that's in line for a title shot now is uh, Diego Nightmare Sanchez. And, you know, he already holds a victory over Kenny Florian. So uh, I think that, uh, albeit if Diego Sanchez beats BJ Penn uh, for the lightweight title, if they end up fighting for it and he wins it, I think that would be a lucrative fight for the UFC to put on because they had originally fought at middleweight in the Ultimate Fighter finale of season one, which is obviously won by the Nightmare. Yeah, could you imagine um, the Nightmare representing the UFC as one of its champions? I mean, they've they've had some real colorful personalities as champions in the past, but I'm not sure that they've ever had quite the freak show of, of Diego Nightmare Sanchez. Hey, I'll be honest with you. I, he's my favorite fighter. Uh, I love watching uh, Diego Sanchez. I think everything he does inside the cage, outside the cage, is spectacular. He's the most motivated guy, I think, in the UFC. He amps himself up. I mean, just walking to the cage is, is, is a, uh, an event in itself for, for Diego. So I, I hope that he gets a title shot. I fully expect him to. And if he does, I think he's going to best uh, the prodigy, BJ Penn, for the title. All right, and uh, one one last topic. I, I know it's not exactly current, but uh, you know, you and I have talked a lot about about Brock Lesnar and just how dominant he seems like he could be. And the one fight that we all, you know, every MMA fan wanted to see was was with Fedor, and now Fedor is not coming to the UFC. Doesn't look like he's ever going to come to the UFC. So now that that fight is just off the table. I mean, what what do you see for the, the heavyweight championship in the UFC? I mean, what's the future look like? In a best-case scenario, what are you hoping to see? Well, I think a lot's going to be decided now at the end of this month at UFC 102. Randy Couture and Antonio Minotaur and Aguirre are going to fight in Portland. And I believe also on that same card is uh, a undefeated heavyweights, Cain Velasquez and Shane Carlin. I think you definitely have to consider the winner of each of those fights a top contender for the heavyweight title. And, you know, quite honestly, uh, he's lost once to Frank Mayer, and he's beaten Frank Mayer once. So, you know, they got to have a rubber match. So uh, I wouldn't mind seeing that again. But you're right, Craig. I think there's not a lot of top contenders. I think everybody wanted to see Fedor. It's not happening. He signed a multi-fight contract with Strike Force, So he's going to beat up Fabricio Verdun. He's going to beat up Brett the Grim Rogers. And then maybe when he's 34, he's 32 now, maybe when he's 34, the UFC will go after him and try and get him in the cage with uh, Brock Lesnar or whoever the champion is. All right, Jordan, thanks for your thoughts on the UFC. Um, again, uh, you're representing uh, UMAX tonight. Why don't you give everybody the particulars, um, give them your, uh, your Twitter account and the website. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Again, uh, UMAX uh, 8, All Heart, No Fear, is uh, Saturday, August 15th at the John S. Knight Center. Uh, you can find out more information uh, at umax.net. That's U-M-A-X-X.net. Or you can follow UMAX on Twitter. And that's uh, Jordan. so UMAX Jordan on Twitter. You can find out all the information. we got 14 outstanding fights, some big-time fighters from Northeast Ohio. It's a can't-miss event, and I suggest if you're a casual or you're a big-time MMA fan, go check it out. All right, Jordan, thanks. We'll uh, talk to you next time. Thanks, Craig. All right, so that was Jordan Sherwood, and on the line now is waiting for next year's own Denny. Hey, what's going on, Craig? 
Not much, man. Um, you checking out the tribe while uh, all that was going on? No. Um, somewhat thankfully, I don't have uh, the extra innings package anymore. I was kind of I was just a podcast for a bit, but uh, they they kind of put it down. And I'm kind of glad. Are you uh, are you an MMA guy, or were your eyes glazing over during that conversation? Um, no, I, I'm not, not too. Uh, I don't follow it too much. I did read that Kelly Pavlik has a, uh, a fight coming up. That's about the closest I get. Uh, I saw that was in the news today, uh, where he's he's fighting in uh, October for defending his title or or something of that sort. Uh, right. Well, that's yeah. that's boxing. That's that's different. right. Well, they're still beating the tar out of each other. <laughs> and speaking of beating the tar out of each other, do you see you like that segue? No one bad. Um, I know you're not big on the Browns, but I'm pretty sure that we could have some fun talking about Sean Smith anyway. Today, it's one of the articles uh, towards the end of the day that Scott posted. Um, Sean Smith is happy to be out of Cleveland, and I'm, I'm getting his quote up here real quick. Um, this, is, of course, is the same guy who got in a fistfight with Brady Quinn, allegedly, in the Browns' locker room last year. Um, and so, uh, let's see, um, Sports Illustrated's Don Banks took a flight from Cleveland to Detroit with, with uh, Sean Smith, and Smith had the following to say. This is from Don Banks' column. I shared a flight from Detroit to Cleveland with Smith on Monday night, just hours after he signed a one-year deal with the Lions. Mangini released Smith last week, and it's accurate to say that the two weren't a good fit. Smith proclaimed himself happy to be out of Cleveland and assured me that some of his ex-Browns teammates wished they were leaving too. Smith said he had tired of the coach's mind games and didn't feel he had been told the truth face-to-face in their brief time together. So, of course, we've got this ingrate who's leaving town, um, and but he's saying that legitimately some of his teammates would also love to get out of Cleveland already too, and we're only a couple months into the Mangini regime. So what are your thoughts, Denny? you think this is legit, or is it just Sean Smith being crazy? Um, I mean, I think there's a very good chance that he's completely bitter. I mean, he did get cut, and uh, I'm not sure there are too many people that like getting fired. But um, I mean, I think that if, if it's true that, uh, you know, people feel like they're not getting straight answers from the head coach of the football team. That maybe is a little bit troubling. But, uh, you know, when you hear it out of one guy who, who just got cut and is going to play for the Lions, you know, it's hard to say that he really took a step up. Uh, and I don't know. I, I think that, you know, it's something that over time maybe we'll see. Maybe, you know, we haven't heard Winslow complaining, although he got traded before he ever really had to deal with the, the new management. It's hard to say, you know. Um, looking at looking at who's there now, maybe there are a few a few guys that are, are going to complain. But I think that um, a point a good point that you brought up today in your article about uh, Mangini is is that he's gotten a bunch of of guys in the locker room that may be able to kind of temper things uh, that are used to what he expects out of out of players and guys that aren't aren't totally used to the uh, the club Cornell that that a bunch of the, the former or the current Browns players who played for Cornell are used to. Yeah, so I'm I'm just trying to connect the dots here too. When when Sean Smith says that some other players might be happy to be out of Cleveland, I can't help but think he might be talking about Sean Rogers because uh, you know, apparently it came out when he was first cut that he and Rogers were kind of close, kind of good friends. I mean, 
obviously Rogers had his own problems in the in the you know before the preseason with this regime. What do you what do you think of that? Do you think it's uh, do you think he's talking about Sean Rogers? I mean, without I mean, I guess he can't really come out and say he doesn't want to throw his buddy under the bus, but um, I mean, it's definitely a possibility. I don't I don't really know you know what what's going on in the locker room. I don't think many of us do, but um, it seems like Mangini did. And, and Rogers kind of patched things over. At least outwardly, they they did enough to uh, to kind of wash over it. I'm not really sure uh, exactly what what may be going on there, but you know, it, it's definitely a possibility that people like Rogers aren't happy with the the new coach, and it's not what they signed up for when they they signed with the team. So, uh, if there's one thing about unhappy athletes, we know that they're going to complain, uh, usually through the media. So. I'm sure that at some point, if things boil over, we'll hear about it. Yeah, well, and that's that's another good big thing that uh, Mangini's got going for him this year is, you know, the the one who would probably be most susceptible to to making a lot of noise and being a real pain in the neck is Braylon Edwards, and because he didn't get traded this off season, um, and he's actually this is definitely a big contract year for him. I think you can expect him to keep his mouth shut and try and catch as many passes as possible. But normally I think he'd be the one who's out front being the most obnoxious and criticizing the new coach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, given the fact that he's, he's got to perform this year, uh, if if he was following up a year like 2007, he might be a little more prone to, to complain. But given the fact that he didn't really do anything last year, uh, he, he's really got to kind of keep things close to the chest and, and just let things play out. Hopefully, you know, the offense is better than last year. It's hard to imagine they could conceivably be much worse. So, uh, you know, looking at, at Edwards, I, it's good that he's not really complaining. Hopefully he, he can step up and be a leader on the team. But if he's decided that he's going to walk by the end of the year, he can suck it up and, and deal with it for another nine months or, well, the Browns season will probably be over in about five months. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I, I think that um, – Having him in a contract year really may help uh, help the team out a lot because he's definitely one that's prone to pout and um, to not have to deal with that is something that really I think uh, may help the team out tremendously. Well, and the funny thing is that uh, if he does have one of those career type uh, contract years, the Browns can go ahead and franchise him and, and try and make sure they get something for him when they trade him at the end of the year. Um, so let's. I, I wanted to, to move on to the quarterback controversy, mostly because I have you on the phone, and and I I think your take on the whole thing is is pretty hilarious. I you know I don't want to get into the benefits, the or the perceived benefits of the of the the two quarterbacks. I'd like to point out the fact that Brett Ratliff might be the best quarterback on this team, and nobody has any idea, and yet we still gab on all the time about which which of these guys we're going to choose, and we know nothing. Right. I mean, well, obviously Brady Quinn has nice hair, and uh, he, he's got to, even though they wear helmets, his hair obviously is, is enough. Uh, and when you factor in his eyes, he's definitely got everything going for him. So we have to go with him at quarterback. Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's fairly absurd to uh, to go in and and to just have all these people clamoring you know about the fact that you know well one guy's from Ohio and you know he played at Notre Dame the other guy you know he had a good season in 2007 but 
whatever. And then, yeah, like you said, Ratliston, and at least, you know, if nothing else, he knows Mangini's offense, and uh, that may help him out tremendously. Apparently he's been taking reps with the first team and been doing fairly well. I saw, uh, I was looking at Twitter today, and, and the OBR is absolutely fantastic. You know, they're going through and, and doing a lot of live tweeting and practices. And, you know, there are a couple stretches where DA was, you know, Anderson struggling, and then Quinn turns around and, and apparently throws a touchdown to Massaquah. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting that, well, it's interesting and sad that the fact that, one, I'm, I'm sitting there and looking at it while I'm at work, and, two, that I care. But, you know, there's there's been all this clamor about who the quarterback's going to be, and it would be, it absolutely would be beneficial for the team, I think, to have a named starter so they could start getting the reps and then, you know, the offense be set going into the season. But to, to have any preconceived notion of who should be the quarterback, especially from the outside, I think it's, it's pretty absurd. Yeah, it's like, you know, a smarter man once told me, you know, the most intelligent people in the world are the most intelligent people in the world because they know what they don't know. And right. it's like so many people are sitting here trying to pretend that they can just create some kind of an advantage based on no empirical evidence whatsoever. And it, it just it drives me crazy after a while. And, and I do blame Mangini a little bit on this. I mean, if they're this close, just go ahead and pick one. If you decide to change after two preseason games, you know, I mean, they're close. Who cares? It's not a big deal. But it, at least if he did pick one now, I don't know, maybe he's still trying to create trade value. I, I don't – it's so hard in the NFL with salaries the way, the way they are and teams and trades and everything else. Nobody really ever has any idea what's going on, especially with a, a new GM and a new head coach. I know. They might as well just – I wish it was like the NFL, or, uh, Major League Baseball and they could just dump them to the Red Sox, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there there is some – value i suppose and and keeping a pretty you know a pretty tight lid on things but it seems somewhat ridiculous to to be at this point i mean we're gonna know come i don't know when the first preseason game is they're starting in the next week or so i think right so um we should know first one on saturday saturday so we should know i mean obviously the whoever strolls out there on the first series is you know, apparently going to be the presumptive favorite. And I would absolutely love for him to, to just take Ratliff out there uh, and just to hear people. I mean, I could probably hear him all the way from D.C. crying because Brady Quinn's not in. Right. Well, I mean, you're going to hurt, you're going to hurt his lucrative, uh, lucrative pitch man career. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, who knows? Maybe Ratliff can say, now I'm done pretty well. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Well, let's switch sports. I want to talk about uh, the Cavs' latest acquisition. They, they actually surprised everybody by getting a guy with graham cracker knees to sign a two-year deal. And, and I mean, it's, nobody's panning the deal. It's, it's a great deal for the Cavs. Um, even if the guy never plays any meaningful basketball, the money is so small, the upside so high because, you know, he has produced before. I'm still trying to figure out, you know, is this guy, did he, did Leon Poe sign this deal because it guarantees he's going to get paid something as opposed to not getting paid anything? Was the market that impossible for this guy that nobody was going to pay him anything more than the minimum? Because it just seems like nobody, nobody, I'm just surprised that he signed a a two-year deal with a team option for year two. Was it, was it that 
off the market? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because if you look at, at some of the things that are out there, you know, especially when he first was was going in and, and trying to get signed, you know, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of noise about him wanting to have a player option for the second year especially. And, and you look at now the team option for the second year that is just absolutely, absolutely genius, uh, you know, for, for Danny Ferry to be able to pull that off. Um, and you look at some of the other people, the other teams that are out there in the running for him, and there were, there were other contending teams that wanted to sign him. And so I think that, um, you know, looking at it, it's it's absolutely amazing that he came to the Cavs. And I know that there's been some talk about him playing AAU ball with LeBron, and maybe, you know, that had a little bit of an effect on things. But uh, just the fact that they could get him, get the, the team option for the second year is absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, I really hope that he is – even on schedule, there's talk about him being ahead of schedule uh, in his rehab. I don't really even care about that. I mean, I would wait until mid mid February, excuse me, at least to to really get him any meaningful minutes, just because he really could contribute really well. And uh, you know, holding out on it, just making sure that he's in shape would be, I think, the smartest thing they can do. But but picking him up is absolutely amazing. I'm I'm really really happy with the signing. All right, so then look into your crystal ball. Who, by the end of the season, who who makes a more meaningful contribution to the Cavs, Leon Poe or J.J. Hickson? I think Poe without a doubt. I mean, I think overall, maybe in the course of the, the season, the regular season especially, if you look at the whole body of work, I think obviously it's going to be Hickson. He's going to get more minutes earlier in the season. But I think by the time the playoffs roll around, uh, I would think that Poe would be the guy who would be first off the bench uh, even if not starting, I, I think that he'll probably be off the bench. Um, but I mean, I, I kind of foresee a, uh, a Shaq Verichau first line at, at five and four, and then the second line being Z and Poe. And I think that both of those sets would be, would be absolutely fantastic because if you look at the, the offense defense kind of, uh, mirroring there, it just works. I think it would work out really well. And I think that, Hickson's still a question mark because we don't really know where his back is at. Uh, I mean, it, I don't even know if he has a back. So I think that um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. But I I would I'd love for Hickson to start to develop and and actually start playing smarter basketball. But I think re- realistically, uh, Poe definitely has a better shot at, at contributing more. Well, and, and do you think the the signing of Poe tells you that? that Danny Ferry is optimistic about Hickson or, I mean, because to sign a guy who is going to be sitting till February, I mean, Danny Ferry is obviously betting on somebody on the Cavaliers roster. I mean, it, was the addition of Shaq enough that he, he thought his minutes were going to be covered in the front court? I think um, it, it's somewhat a vote of confidence in, in Hickson in that in the first half of the season, he can get things done. And, uh, I mean, having somebody like Poe who's had playoff experience, you know, he's not quite, uh, you know, a, a long-term veteran like somebody like Joe Smith is, but he's definitely going to be able to give good tips. Um, but I think that letting Hickson develop during the, the beginning of the season, kind of giving him – he'll be, the, I guess, the, probably the first guy off the bench at the four. He's going to get some meaningful minutes early on. Uh, he's going to get a chance to develop, and we're going to be able to find out uh, you know whether he's got it or not. I think that um, it's probably a, somewhat a vote of confidence, but it's also a really good backup plan. 
All right, and how many how many minutes per game do you think we're going to get to see Shaq and Z play at the same time? I'm hoping for at, at least five. At the at the same time. Yeah, wow. yeah, I want to uh, see it badly. I think that uh, <laughs> that would be the most absurd thing ever. We're going to see it. Uh, I would think that probably maximum about eight minutes a game. Average probably about five. Do you think it will even be that? I, I was kind of being facetious, but I think it would be hilarious. But I, I just, I don't know, even Mike, maybe Mike Brown will try it early on in the season and then abandon it when he realizes how bad of an idea it is. Could you imagine a team, um, you know, uh, leaking out every time against that back, against that front court? Well, I think the problem with what you bring up is how long is it realistically going to take Mike Brown to realize it's a bad idea? <laughs> I think that's the question that should be pondered. Yeah, between between Mike Brown and Doc Rivers, are there two more guys with more success on their resume who get discounted as coaches more in the entire NBA? I don't know, probably not. But, I mean, sometimes it's a clinic on how to just be completely bullheaded and not pay attention to what's going on. I don't know, I, I I still can't believe that Doc Rivers has finally gotten his team to turn around, but I guess when you get two fringe Hall of Famers and then, you know, Garnett on your team, you're you're bound to not screw it up. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, when, when Garnett was out, you know, Rivers almost gets outcoached by Vinny Del Negro. You know, it's, it's just mind-boggling. That's true, but I don't know. It, <laughs> I guess we could say that Mike Brown got outcoached by Jeff Van Gundy, so we probably ought not to walk down that road. <laughs> well, no, but, I mean, that's definitely true. I don't think anybody would deny that at this point. And, uh, so, I mean, and obviously John Kuster is now gone. Uh, we haven't heard that uh, anybody specifically from within is stepping into that role. We, haven't, we certainly haven't heard them bringing anybody in to, to take that role over. How terrified are you that uh, the Mike Brown offense is coming back? Uh, I'm a little bit worried, I mean, honestly, especially the fact that they haven't pulled in a point guard. I mean, you, you know, we've talked about power forward being a slot of need, but point guard, to have a real true backup point guard would be nice. I mean, Mo, yeah, he's kind of a point guard. He's a combo guard. Delonte is a combo guard. Gibson looks lost with the ball in his hands, and he's, I guess, pretty much a shooting guard, even though he can't really shoot. There's not really anybody that's a straight point guard on the team. And having somebody to call for the ball would, and, and kind of direct the offense would have been nice. And, you know, I guess they still could pick somebody up. But I think that there's a significant chance that we're going to slide back into the uh, – the four on the baseline and LeBron dribbling the ball. I really hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, it would be a real shame, especially now that, you know, I know Shaq's, like, going on 40 and all, but, they. I mean, you can definitely still build at least, let's say, 15 minutes of game planning in. You know, they, they kind of run through Shaq. People can run off the ball. He's not a bad passer. Right. Um, and he could, he could still, you know, require a, a couple of, couple of bodies on him yeah i i don't know i i think that it's going to be a challenge for mike brown to just run the offense in general but to have a big banger in the middle like that is something that i mean more or less he hasn't really had 
Z's more of an outside shot kind of guy. He's never really had somebody that absolutely dominates the, the paint like we hope that Shaq still can do. And so I, I think that it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But uh, I, I'm a little bit nervous. I probably shouldn't be because we have the coach of the year. He is coach of the year, right? That's a terrible blogger question for me to ask. Yeah, no, he is. Okay, thank God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but Eric's yeah. manager was the, the manager of the year once, so it doesn't mean crap to me. That's true. Um, but, I mean, we'll see uh, We'll see how it goes. But, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous. I And there's absolutely no reason to be. I mean, if you look at Orlando's team, they've, they've added some, but they lost Turkaloo, who was a big part of the team, and I think more so than a lot of people realize. Uh, they have another three-point shooter, Vince Carter, but he's he, Turkaloo ran their offense half the time. And, I mean, they're going to have Nelson back, but – I don't think that they've improved as much as the Cavs have, and it'd be nice to have somebody really that we know is in charge and really in charge of the team and and driving the offense. And hopefully that happens. Yeah. Do you get the sense that Orlando played a bit of fantasy basketball this off season? It's like they they plugged in a really talented guy, but they they kind of lost a lot of team identity in the process. Yeah. I. I I really don't know. I mean, I think that if you look at what Courtney Lee was able to do, the fact that they traded him away for Vince Carter at this point in his career is somewhat questionable. I mean, yeah, you're you're putting in somebody with good numbers, but it's not as simple as just nicking matching and, and taking a you know a little Lego set and everything adds up. Um, right. Yeah. If we were playing NBA Live and you and you looked at their rankings, their ranking definitely went up this year. But this isn't this isn't a video game. They they actually have to play together. Actually, have to be team de- team defense and team offense, leading to some kind of a cohesive game plan. And I, I just don't yeah. I don't see it. Yeah, I I don't know. I I hope that it didn't work out very well for them. I mean, I think that's going to take. I mean, it's going to take just as long for the Cavs to figure things out. I think that if you look at all the moves that the Cavs have made, more or less they've been. A, you know, a fairly significant upgrade. I would say that Shaq over Ben Wallace, even though their combined age is pushing 100, is is definitely a step up. And you look at, you know, some of the other, you know, we got the athletic wingmen that we've been wanting to have but haven't. And hopefully they can hit the outside shot. But we'll, we'll have to see on that. I think that everything has been an upgrade. And, and the, I guess, you know, looking at Turkaloo leaving and Vince Carter coming in, uh, but losing Courtney Lee, I can't really say that they're really stepping out ahead of where they were. Uh, granted, they don't really need to be very much ahead of where they were because they 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 made the Eastern or they won the Easter Conference championships. So uh, obviously they're good enough this year. Maybe they'll be good enough the coming year, but I I hope not. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping Vince Carter turns out to be equivalent to what Larry Hughes was here. But uh, I, this is another thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately. The addition of Shaq helps one guy on the Cavs, I think, more than anybody else. I mean, LeBron can fend for himself at all times, as we know, as we've seen him kind of develop that way over his first, uh, you know, first few years in the league. I think the guy who's going to be helped most, and it's going to be surprising to a lot of people, but the one who's going to be helped most is Mo Williams because he came in here and 
you know, on the heels of Larry Hughes, on the heels of, of all these different trades. And we had him pegged as kind of the Scotty Pippen, the savior. You know, we, we kind of painted him into an unfair corner where he had to be way more than he'd ever been asked to be in his entire career. And now that Shaq's here, even, even an older Shaq, all of a sudden Mo Williams can kind of fade a little bit into the background and become the, the dominating role player. I know that's kind of words at odds, but kind of a dominating role player as the third option in most cases instead of the, you know, the, what the Cavs relied on him so much this year when, when LeBron would go to the bench and he became the primary scoring option. Now it's kind of a trio and they don't have to quite do that as much. Yeah, I agree. I mean, at least we hope that, you know, other teams' coaches are going to be like 15-year-old girls and, and look and say, oh, well, you know, Shaq's the guy that we got to go to because I've heard of him before. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that it's it's going to have a, a significant impact because there's going to be a guy right in the middle of the court that's going to demand attention. I know that, you know, Z's got some okay post moves, but he, he stretches the floor more than – a lot of centers, and Shaq's the guy who's going to be right around the rim, and uh, it's going to help spread things out as long as they can get the offense uh, set up, which Lord knows that that will happen. We hope it will. Um, I think that Moe's definitely going to be at least at the same level. Hopefully he's playing better. And I think that you're right when, when you say that he's going to benefit a lot from it. And I think that the other guard is as well, as long as they can hit the open shots, because I think that they're going to be there maybe a little bit more so than they have been. I mean, and let's see. I mean, I'm trying to figure out what Shaq adds the game in rebounds. Um, last year he averaged 8.4 rebounds a game um, over 75 games. And I think that's kind of the people, – people think about scoring. They think about him being in the lane to potentially block shots or, or draw a double team. But I mean, he's he's just going to raise the, the the rebounding rate of the entire team, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, and and I think in addition to that, when Poe's healthy, if Poe's healthy, he's he's an outstanding rebounder. And I think, uh, I mean, the Cavs the last couple of years have been a very good rebounding team. I think last year they they kind of regressed a little bit, and at least from my memory, they didn't get the rebounds when they really needed them. Um, but you know. Andy's a pretty good rebounder. Shaq's definitely a good rebounder. Z's fairly good, but if you stick him with a good, you know, with somebody like Poe, I think that that combination is going to be able to, to match up fairly well in what they do. And I think that uh, hopefully rebounding wise, we're going to see an improvement in this team. You know, in the first line with Shaq and in the second line with, uh, you know, Z and Hickson or Z and Poe, whoever it may be. So do you think any of the guys who underperformed this year, like Booby Gibson or, or anybody else on the roster for that matter. Do you think anybody can step up and, and, and find a role on this team where they've been unable to in the, in the past year? Uh, I'm not really sold on, on Gibson. I think at this point um, my, my judgment's kind of a little bit damning of what he can do. I mean, if you look at, he, he had a couple great streaks in really important spots for the team a couple of years ago and really hasn't done much of anything since. And I think that realistically, I mean, he could benefit from having more open looks um, just like, uh, you know, we said that Mo Williams would, but it's going to be, it's going to be difficult to see. I think that um, if you look at 
Anthony Parker. I think that he's going to be the one that's probably going to be getting a significant amount of those minutes that Booby might have been getting, and I think that it's uh, it's going to be difficult for him to establish himself. I mean, we know that Mike Brown has had somewhat strange affections for players where, you know, we've seen Pavlovich coming in and playing a lot of minutes. So uh, you never know. I mean, maybe maybe Gibson will get in his uh, in his sights and and be playing a lot, and I, I hope for his sake he does, but it's I'm not really sure that, that the outlook is too good for, for Gibson. Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty funny. I heard you mention Pavlovich. I think it's pretty funny that the Cavs role player upgrade there is Anthony Parker for Sasha Pavlovich. And just in, in terms of quality off the bench, I mean we haven't even seen Parker play yet and already you just have to feel infinitely more confident. It's just unbelievable that they were able to make that upgrade. Because it's almost it's almost a player for player upgrade. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that you're right there. Um, <laughs> there was always this hope that Pavlovich would would live up to the potential that we maybe saw a little bit early on, but, you know, it really went nowhere. And I think that Anthony Parker's a guy that's at least established that he's got his head on straight and knows how to to play basketball. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's a, a really good swap. And I think that it, even at this point, if Pose comes back and he's 85% healthy, that's going to be an upgrade over what Ben Wallace gave us too. Yeah, that, and speaking of Ben Wallace, uh, signed in Detroit today. Um, are, were you surprised that he came back at all? I mean, you look at the lack of productivity. He broke his leg this year. He couldn't stay healthy. And, uh, I mean, signs for the league minimum after getting bought out. Were you kind of surprised he even, came, he even bothered to come back for one more year with a, a team that's lost so much of its identity between Rashid Wallace and Billups not being there anymore and the coach, it's not the same coach. I mean, is this a, a relationship with Joe Dumars or something? What do you think? I think it's got to be with Dumars and, and with Tayshaun Prince and, and also with uh, Rip Hamilton. I mean, he really he made his career in Detroit. Um, For sure. And he he played fairly well in, in Cleveland. I mean, not as well as we had hoped, but he did all right. I mean, I think that for him it's going to be nice to be able to close up his career back. Uh, you know, I mean, we always hear these, these things about Manny talking about wanting to finish up his career in Cleveland and, you know, and people going back to where they started. I know that Wallace started in Orlando, but still, he, you know, his career really, he showed up on the map when he was in Detroit. And I think uh, for him to be able to finish up there is going to be nice for him. I mean, he, there's been a lot of really good articles about Billups and, how upset he was when he had to leave uh, because the bond between him, you know, the, all those core guys in Detroit so strong. I think that that's ultimately, that's probably what brought Ben Wallace back there. Well, and much like we were talking about with Orlando in, in Detroit, you know, they, they add Ben Gordon and, uh, and uh, Charlie Villanueva this year. And I, I know the players that they replaced were not the players in their prime, but can you imagine Two, like two downgrade, two bigger downgrades than those two guys from Billups and Rashid Wallace in their prime. Prime. Oh, I mean, when they were playing in their prime, it's absolutely like a huge step down. I would say that Billups arguably is still playing in his prime. He's still doing, you know, he's still playing really, really well. He was really the piece out in Denver that made all the difference. And 
Wallace, I mean, we'll see what he can do in, in Boston. But, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think that Ben Gordon is he's a pure gunner, and it, at times it's a, you know it was amazing to see him have the complete audacity to throw up the, some of the stuff that he was throwing up in that series against Boston. But and making um, it, yeah, and making it. But I, I can't imagine that you know apparently you know we there's a lot in the press about Hamilton being difficult in the locker room. I can't imagine him and Gordon you know sharing the ball in the court and, and getting along all that well. Yeah, it's just, you know, we were, Cleveland fans were kind of infatuated for a minute with Charlie Villanueva, but it really, it kind of came down to the fact that we already had LeBron, and, and now they don't seem to have that franchise guy in, in Detroit anymore, and these two signings seem like they're chasing. Um, I just brought up the screen and realized that we are down to 10 seconds in the show, so oh, I'm going to go and, and end it right there um, for Denny. And for me, I'm Craig. Uh, This has been the Waiting for Next Year dot com podcast. Thanks.